0: All right, here we go, baby. Coming fresh off that Super Bowl. How we doing today, Jared?
1: Yeah, I like the intro song choice. So actually, uh, I hate to admit it, but I started dancing there in my chair.
0: Oh, I'm I've been dancing. Big pimp and some Jay Z. All right, let's get right into it. Um, I didn't have the most successful Super Bowl bets, um, but my biggest money bet hit, and that's what really matters. We'll go over that in just a second. My name is Adam. Uh, Jared is my partner. How are you doing today, Jared?
1: Doing pretty good. So we haven't been with you guys. It's not as, uh, not as easy in these kind of off, basically non-college football, NFL type uh, months of the year, but we'll do what we can to stay with you every couple of weeks.
0: Oh, but you're going to see how we get creative to to keep our gambling degeneration alive here, and you're going to see some of these bets that we're making. It's it's getting fun. This is the time of year where you got to be creative if you want to keep uh, packing your pocketbooks here for the summer. Um, we're at odds, though. I don't even think I told you guys our name. We're coming into it's got to be close to our tenth or so episode of this, Jared. And 12th I've been hovering. Twelfth week, okay. So I've been hovering. I've been stagnant a little bit, but. Jared, talk to us about our Super Bowl bets. I know we had some prop bets. We had some fun ones a couple weeks ago. You want to break down how you did?
1: Yeah, so I got a little too uh, creative with that uh, whole onside kick. It was kind of a – it was more of just a for fun bet. Probably not the best idea, so that cost me. Uh, I technically have one open still with the Jimmy G pass over Wilder Fury rounds, and that pass Mm. if people are paying attention – Went for 11 yards if I could have got. That two, was good. As soon as I saw it get dumped off the kittle, I was like, oh, boy, this has a good shot to at least go 15. But um, so I basically just need this fight to finish. And then I, I hit on that one. Uh, my Omaha, South Dakota, Vegas hunch, we call it. That looked great. And then Omaha kind of choked at the very end. About honestly, I honestly don't even know a player on either of the teams, but you just go with the system because it works. So I lost that one, but that, that's just a volume bet. You just keep doing those. San Fran minus two and a half, I was feeling really good until they just decided to kind of choke that game away. I mean, Kyle Shanahan looks to be one of the greatest non-Super Bowl coaches, but that dude just clams up and just panics. Anytime he gets a lead, he, he, he runs the ball and nobody can stop his run game. And then whenever he gets a lead in the Super Bowl, he's like, you know what, I'm going to start passing. And he just does not have a passing offense. He's got a running offense. I, I don't he's, know what it is. He's the best
0: non-fourth-quarter Super Bowl play caller I've ever seen. He gets into the fourth I mean, quarter look at, the Super Bowl. Look at the Super Bowl. I think it was uh, – they had the lead. They got the ball, I think, it was in the
1: fourth quarter. They ran it on first down. I think it picked up five yards. It was second and five, and I think they went pass, pass, and then turned it over, and the Chiefs came back down and scored. It's I think like, everything was still working for
0: them, and he's decided – it's like he almost outcoached himself. That's really specific. I don't even think you have to get that circumstantial. He had a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. They lost by like 12. He had a 25-point lead in the third quarter against the Patriots, and they lost that game. So you don't even have to talk about specific play sets. One time, I don't even, sure, I'll I don't talk even about getting unlucky. I don't even remember the exact stats
1: behind it, but somebody on ESPN was showing that uh, in both scenarios, he was very run heavy. And then once he had the lead, he went to a heavier pass game. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's like he flipped to passing 60% of the time instead of running 60% of the time and just completely That's lost.
0: That's pressure will do to you.
1: Anyways, how'd you do?
0: So I got a little cocky too um, on my creative bets. On my actual like kind of real bets, I did good on two of them. But I had Jimmy G over 249 yards and two touchdowns, lost that one. I had the coin toss coming up heads. I researched the trends of that super heavily, and it came up tails. I don't even understand how. It's like everything pointed that it was going to be heads, but I guess that's what you get for betting on a coin flip. The over didn't hit. It's probably an 80% chance it was coming up heads, and he's still off. I know, but that's, like you said, that's a volume bet. You keep betting on heads, I guarantee you're going to win at least one of them. So just keep keep rolling those heads bets out there. Um, but my, my over, I said over, uh, was going to hit. It did not hit. It came close. My over was 54. It came right at 51. Um, I did win on the following two bets, though. John Jones straight up to win that fight. It's obviously, I didn't get good. Great odds, but who cares about the odds when you're making money? And I took KC Moneyline for the biggest bet, actually, in uh, At Odds history. I put 30 30 units on it, and I pulled back 30. I was very nervous going late into the uh – fourth quarter there when Kansas City was down 10. But as I said in our previous podcast there, Jared, it is the Patrick Mahomes era. And I'm I'm expecting him to finish his career with four, five, six Super Bowls. And we just saw the beginning of what he's going to be doing. So I think I'm going to be betting on him a long time. And I know you were talking about it weeks and weeks and weeks ago before the playoffs, even about low key betting on the Kansas City money line when they were down, I think that that is the future bet from now on for the next decade. Anytime Kansas City is not a top two, I would say especially three favorites, as long as Patrick Mahomes is not hurt for the season, I'm going to start taking their odds to win the Super Bowl because it's going to pay off. I'm promising you this kid is special. And you saw it the fourth quarter when I the chips were on the line. They were plus
1: 600, I told you, I think in week 16.
0: I mean, chips on the line. He, this dude was down 24 nothing to the Texans. He was down 17 seven to the Titans. They were down 10 to the uh, 49ers in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter, and he just turns on perfection and just really comes back. I was, I don't love to see complete domination in a sport. That's why I was rooting against Patrick Holmes a little bit because I think it's going to be his decade. But it was definitely, it was definitely fun to watch. But. I don't really have much else from last week. I'm coming into this week at 285. Like I said, I've been held pretty stagnant over the past, I don't know, three, four, five weeks. I've been hovering between 270 and 290, 295. So I'm really looking to take that next step, get above 300. Um, I'm just going to kick right off here, and I'm going to show you how much of a degenerate I am, Jared. We're going to the freaking XFL. XFL. And I don't even know what time this game is being played at. I don't even know more than like three players on any roster here. But I am taking the D.C. Defenders minus eight in their upcoming game against the L.A. Wildcats. A couple things why I'm going this. I was thinking about possibly betting the under on this because it's 45 and the D.C. Defenders actually have a good defense I'm just betting on Cardale Jones here. This dude, I don't think he's ever lost a football game, like legitimately. He's just won tons of football games at Ohio State. He just goes to the NFL, doesn't ever get a chance to play, goes to the XFL, wins a game 27 to nothing. The DC Defenders are like the only team I really have heard anything about, and they're one of the better teams. So I've heard, quote unquote, I don't even know. It's the XFL. Who even knows who's good at this point? But they won their last game, 27 to nothing. The LA Wildcats lost to the Dallas Renegades, uh, 25-18. So when you break down the actual look of the LA Wildcats as well. This was with their quarterback throwing for two touchdowns, 200 yards, and no interceptions. So he played a very good game, especially by XFL standards. If you look on the opposite side of the ball, Landry Jones, who won the game for the Dallas Renegades, had one touchdown and two interceptions. The quarterback play is pretty shaky in the XFL as far as I can tell. And uh, Josh Johnson is out here Two touchdowns, zero interceptions, and they still lost the game by a touchdown. I expect the D.C. defenders to have a good defense because they held the New York Guardians. I feel like I'm just making stuff up at this point. They held the New York Guardians to zero points. They shut them out. They got a good defense. Cardale Jones looked good. 260 yards, two touchdowns a pick. Like I'm saying, this is kind of the trend of the XFL, throwing some interceptions, getting your feet underneath you. I just really like the D.C. defenders. I don't think Josh Johnson is going to come out and be able to throw another two touchdowns and no picks. I think the D.C. defenders run away with this game. I think this is going to be a game um, 24-7, 31-14. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. The D.C. defenders are the team to beat in the XFL this year. That's a seven-unit bet to return 6.15. So that's even under odds there. So Vegas, that's telling me Vegas thinks that DC is probably also going to hit the hit the spread on this. But it's minus eight. And now remember, Jared, minus seven, minus eight, minus six is a little tricky in the XFL because they don't do extra points the same way that they do in the NFL. So getting that eight-point spread might not look so sexy in the NFL, but it looks a lot better In the XFL, because if you can look, there was already a game decided by eight points. Out of the four games that were played, there was one game that was decided Uh by exactly eight points. So this isn't like you're getting the crappy end of the stick at seven and a half like in the NFL. Um, I think the eight is a decent bet for the XFL. Again, take it with a grain of salt because I almost have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to the XFL. But I like the D.C. Defenders and they're the team that I heard the most hype about before the season even started. They've lived up to the hype. Cardale Jones has shown to be productive in a solid offense, so keep it running, D.C. Defenders. Minus eight, like I said, seven-unit bet to return 6.15 on that.
1: All right, well, can't argue with any of that. You Um, literally can't
0: because you don't know.
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, some of the best bets are the ones you know nothing about. Not, Not probably realistically, but they are kind of nice because it's a little less stressful. You're not sitting; you're trying to prove yourself that you're right. You can easily just chalk it up and go, oh, I didn't know what I was doing or you get it right. And you're like, I told you, um, oh, I'm, but yeah, even if I get I it
0: right, I'm chalking it up to, I don't know what I'm doing on this one. So but,
1: like I, I said, off season really or
0: degenerates, we got to, we got to get creative.
1: I was going to say, I don't even know how to comment on it and I'll apologize in advance. That's probably going to be a, a lot of these games we have in the next few months. Cause but guys, there's just so much going on, and there's no dominant thing to really be picking on. That's why we prefer the NFL college football. You know that each of us are going to have three to four picks in those games. We all at least have enough to say about them. But, I mean, right now, Adam's pulling XFL. I think I've watched one half of an XFL game the whole year. I'm going to be pulling some college basketball games that nobody's even heard of. So.
0: But yeah, hey, man, guess, uh, if you're making money, you're making DC. money.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess that's the uh, end of the day. That's what matters. So I'll move over into college basketball. Um, a lot of these, I know people probably, I think, I've only picked two or three in the actual show, so you're probably saying, oh, yeah, but I text Adam about them all the time, and these, uh, these kind of Vegas hunches, as we like to call them, may- maybe you don't like the word hunch, but just kind of different than you'd expect, I guess, is the way to put it. Well, I guess maybe a hunch then. Um, they seem more often than not to favor the what you would not expect line. And I think part of it is because Vegas has way more insight than we do as individuals. I don't care how big of an expert you think you are, they got the most experts with PhD statisticians looking at stuff. So if you think you're going to beat them, you'll probably fool yourself and beat them on a couple games. But over the long run, you're not going to. There's a reason that people always pick, oh, this is the perfect one, and then you know, but getting it wrong. So that's where we're heading to college basketball because. When you have 50 games a day, you can at least easily spot three to five of them that had that kind of Vegas Hunch feel to it. Not as easy in other sports like the NFL. You maybe get one or two of those a week at most. But the first one it takes you over to is Purdue and Michigan. So Michigan is on the road at Purdue. And Michigan, they hit a little bit of a slump, and I think that's kind of what's going to start tricking the public is people are looking at it saying, oh, yeah, they were down because Xavier Simpson, I think – or no, not Xavier Simpson, I think – was Nick livers was out for a while. Yeah. So the somewhat educated sports bettors are going to say, Oh, well, Michigan was down because they had their best player out or one of their best scores out. Now he's back. They've been on a roll, which is true. They've won six of their last seven, I believe. Um, and, and I do think they're better than their record says. I think if they did not have livers, those four games, they probably only would have lost maybe two of them instead of four of them. um, But it's not like it changes them to a top five team that they're just going to steamroll people. They're just going to be a little bit better than they were before. And you look at who they've been beating since um, Livers came back. Nebraska, nobody cares about Nebraska. Rutgers, they're actually pretty good this year, but they're not, again, they're not an elite team. Ohio State, they actually lost to, who's been up and down. So I wouldn't say it's a bad loss, but it's definitely not a good loss. They did beat Michigan State, who we have struggled on our own. Northwestern, who's been a dumpster, and then Indiana, who's actually been a decent this year, but again, they haven't. What I'm trying to get at is they, since the livers came back, it's not like they've been rolling through the Big Ten beating their best teams. They're beating kind of the, the weaker half, and then Michigan State, you can argue what you want if they're up or down, but they're definitely not playing like they should be. Now they get to Purdue. So they're on a four game win streak. Purdue is actually uh, kind of going the opposite direction. Purdue's lost three of their last, three of their last three. So you would think, okay. Purdue's a favorite. This is an easy slam dunk game for Michigan. They're the better team. They're playing better. Livers is back. You're getting them at uh, a positive money line, but you go look at the or you go look at the line. Purdue's favorite by two, three, three and a half, depending on where you look. That to me just screams this is Purdue's game. Nobody even knows why, but why would Vegas have Purdue a three point favorite coming off of three straight losses and Michigan's coming off four straight wins? You go back and look at uh, Purdue though at home. They're, they're kind of a different animal at home. They do have a bad loss to Ohio State uh, and Illinois and, I guess, Penn State. But Penn State's actually a pretty good team this year. Illinois has been a decent team. But look at some of their games they've had at home. They absolutely smashed Michigan State when Michigan State looked like they were kind of getting on a hot streak. They're like the hot streak enders. Michigan State was really starting to get going, and they just murdered them. Um, I, I think it was like a 30-point game. And then you get over to uh, Iowa recently, they beat Iowa by like 40. I think they had 60 points in the first half against Iowa at home. They're just, I mean, like, like I said, I think the, uh, I guess Ohio state was actually a road game. I, I was wrong on that, but Penn state is one of the only losses they have at home. That's bad. And I guess, like I said, Illinois, but I mean, they, they've been a different animal at home. I think Vegas knows that. And I mean, I'm just going to roll with Vegas on this one. I, I think Michigan's waiting to waiting to kind of fall back a little bit here. And this is a perfect setup for, uh, Purdue to have one of those games where they go off and win by 10 or 15 points.
0: Yeah, I I like your analysis, that's for sure, on that. Here's the thing with it, is I view Michigan as one of those wildly inconsistent teams for a couple reasons. I think it's mainly because of the coaching. Uh, not saying that John Howard's a bad coach. He just hasn't quite figured out coaching the college basketball game. That's why I'm a little afraid. I think that Michigan... Under B-line, they were a different team. They were like a rigid team. They would come to play every game. Their highs were high. Their lows were not that low. I think that this Juwan Howard is more of a peaks and valley. They got high highs, but they got low lows as well. And with the return of Isaiah Livers, I, I like Michigan. I like Michigan to push their way into the tournament and figure out a way to make the tournament maybe as a 10, 11, 12 seed. I don't know about this one, Jared. I, I I think you're right about Purdue being that kind of streak breaker. They're that team that you kind of don't really want to play. But I don't know. I think I'm staying away from this one just because Michigan is just a very up-and-down team, almost pretty similar to Michigan State, where you know you look at them one game, they beat Nebraska by 20 points, and they hit, what, 13 three-pointers or whatever they did, and they look like, oh, this is a team that has a chance for the Final Four, and then they come out the next week, and they lay an egg, and they struggle to make free throws and they struggle to make shots and all this stuff. And I think that's a little bit of the case with Michigan. They're inconsistent. So I'm staying away from it. I like where you're going. I like where your head's at. I wish you luck, but this one, this one's a little scary for me at least, but uh, I'm going to take us and Jared, I'm going to throw a curveball here. This is a first time for at odds. I'm going to switch the pick that I sent you and the pick that we planned on talking about, um, as I did a little bit more research into it, like I said, we're a little bit off of our rocker here talking about these off season, non football out here, figuring out a way to bet money and hopefully win. I originally had Charlotte to win the game straight up over Brooklyn. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to have Brooklyn to cover the spread of, th- uh, minus three against Charlotte. So I'll give you a second to to take that in. I'm gonna take five units and that's even. So it's gonna return five units on that. Here's a couple reasons. I was as you were talking about Vegas beating the average sports better, Jared, it really rung true into my head about this one. Kyrie Irving's hurt, he's been gone. The uh, Brooklyn Nets look like they're tanking with Kyrie out, KD out. Maybe they're trying to get a higher draft pick. Charlotte's a young up-and-coming team. Let's see what they can do. Hold on. Let's take a step back and let's look deeper. The Brooklyn Nets record without Kyrie Irving versus with Kyrie Irving is outstanding. Let's take a look at this. They went on a 4-1 and stretch without Kyrie before this past All Star. Without Kyrie Irving, they have a, I'm sorry, they have a record of 17 and 16 without Kyrie Irving. In the 20 games that he's played, they are 8 and 12. Now, 20 games, small sample size. In the 33 he's played, a little bit of a bigger sample size. But overall, this is basically saying, hey, The Brooklyn Nets are a decent team. When you plug Kyrie in, who really knows? They're they're not, maybe they're not worse, but they're certainly not a better team. Wait, let's take another step back. Let's look at the Boston Celtics record last season with and without Kyrie. So, with. Kyrie Irving, 38 and 29, a winning percentage of 56. Without Kyrie Irving, 10 and 4, winning percentage of over 700. So over the past two seasons, teams that play with Kyrie Irving have a winning percentage of right at 500, just slightly above. Teams playing without Kyrie Irving have a winning percentage of close to 700. That's an amazing stat to me. That actually blew my mind. I'm not going to say Kyrie's a bad player. I'm not going to say he's not a superstar. But it's really telling that these teams seem to somehow elevate their play without Kyrie Irving. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know so much basketball NBA about the Brooklyn Nets and the Charlotte Hornets to say that, oh, the Charlotte Hornets are going to come ready to play and they're going to win this game because Kyrie and yada yada. I'm just looking at the stats. Brooklyn Nets are a pretty decent team just in general. I mean, they're 25 and 29. That's not that's not good. But compared to the Charlotte Hornets of 19 and 36, it's basically a middling team playing a bad team. And yet this middling team is losing, quote unquote, their best player, but somehow plays better. They elevate their game without them. Let's just take a look at their last five games. And I'll stop talking about this game because, like I said, I don't know that much about it. I'm just playing on a wing and a prayer that Kyrie Irving is actually making the Brooklyn Nets pulled down a little bit. Without Kyrie Irving, they, are, they lost to the Philadelphia Sixers, but it went to overtime. Philadelphia Sixers are an Eastern Conference contender. They beat Toronto, Eastern Conference contender. They beat uh, the Pacers. Now the Pacers are idling a little bit, but they're a good team. They lost to the Toronto Raptors by one point, Eastern Conference contender, and they blew the doors off the Golden State Warriors. So in their past five games, they don't have a single bad game. They barely lost to two Eastern Conference contenders. Let's take a look at the Hornets. If we take a look at the... Hornet schedules, sure, the past few games, they've won against some crappy teams like Minnesota, Chicago, and Detroit, but if you look back even further than that, they were going on massive, massive skits. I'm talking they lost to Dallas, they lost to Houston, they lost to Orlando, they lost to San Antonio, they lost to Washington, they lost to Milwaukee, they lost to Orlando, they beat the Knicks, maybe the worst team in the NBA, they lost to Denver, lost to Portland, lost to Phoenix, lost to Utah, lost to Toronto, lost to Indiana. It's a miracle that I even put this bet on the paper that Charlotte was gonna win this game just because I was thinking Kyrie's out. Blah, blah, blah. I'm stupid. Kyrie out is better for the Brooklyn. That's the hover. Minus three, even odds, five dollar or five units to return. Five units. I'm going by the numbers. Somehow teams elevate their play without Kyrie Irving. I'm gonna say that continues.
1: Wait, is this the Kyrie you're talking about that uh, did not want to play with LeBron because he wanted to be his own guy, his own leader?
0: Yeah, he wanted to leave the Cavaliers to be his own leader and play in a quote-unquote real sports city like Boston. He went to Boston, like I recited the numbers, they were better without him. He complained, cried, blah, blah, blah forced his way to Brooklyn. As soon as he got to Brooklyn, he was talking about how he needed more pieces in order to compete with the Brooklyn Nets. He gets hurt in season ending shoulder surgery. Somehow Brooklyn gets better. Kyrie's a great player and he's the guy you want on your team when you're in the late fourth quarter trying to make shot. is a baller. And LeBron won a championship thanks to Kyrie Irving. I will not slight that at all, but Kyrie Irving is not the guy that you want leading your team. Maybe even not the second option. He's a guy that you want because he's clutch. He can make his own shots. He can really develop his own offense when everything else is stagnant. But outside of that, he's a questionable teammate. And I think teams excel without him. So yeah, you're right. He is. This is the Kyrie Irving that forced his way out of playing with like the best team playing superstar in the history of sports, maybe, in LeBron James. Sounds kind of
1: like a uh, modern day Carmelo Anthony, if you ask me.
0: Mm. Hey, but did he's you ball, see Kyle or of a Carmelo? Scorer, play? But he uh,
1: just can't do it by himself. He's not the main piece, he's a, a great second hey, piece. Hey, Mello,
0: Melo got, Mello got Zion jumping last night. If you didn't see it, he he made him look like a damn fool. I recommend you look at that. But. That's enough talking about the Brooklyn Nets and the Charlotte Hornets, (laughs) I think, for the rest of my life, maybe. All right,
1: so uh, I'll move over to, or I guess I'll stay in college basketball. This one will be short and sweet. Uh, Kansas State, uh, I locked them in at four and a half, so it's helped helped my confidence. Well, I think the line's moved to five and a half now uh, over Texas. Uh, This one's short, simple. Again, just kind of the the numbers don't look right, so I'm going on the side of it doesn't look right. Um, I mean, look at Kansas State. They have lost... Six straight games. I mean, you should not bet on a six straight game or a team that's lost six straight games, but Vegas is, so I'm gonna too. Uh, you look at Texas; they're not doing so hot themselves, and I think this is why they have it uh, favorite for Kansas State. Is Texas has kind of struggled on the road; they haven't really done. I'm um, just briefly—they beat TCU on the road by one. TCU is not a great team, and other than that, I don't think Texas has a road win. Uh, that's the only road win they've had since January 15th. So they have two road wins in the last month. Um, then you have to go back another. I mean, I think that's it. For the season. Oh, they beat Purdue in the very early days. I think they have three road wins the whole season. So, uh, Texas has really struggled away from home. And then as I mentioned with, uh, Kansas state here, they really haven't been as bad as they, their record says. I say that not knowing a lot about them. But just quickly looking at their last six games they've lost, West Virginia was a top-12 team. On the road, they lost by nine. Uh, Baylor, number one team in the country, they lost by six. Iowa State, they lost by ten. That's probably not the greatest game. But then they had lost Oklahoma State by five. They lost another game by nine. And then a game to Texas Tech, who went to the finals last year by seven. So they've been in it on a lot of these games against good teams. Now it seems like they finally can get over the hump against a team that struggles on the road. And – I mean, the fact that the line keeps moving even more in favor of Kansas State to me just shows that somebody knows something out there and this it lineup for a Kansas State win. I, like I said, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I, I, college basketball, there's way too much time to analyze every single team or way too many teams to analyze all of them. So I just analyze the numbers. I like the numbers on it with them getting that uh, four and a half to five point, five point uh, line in their favor. I but know you said Texas that struggles on the road. Although that number's a
0: little higher
1: than I usually like. I like to try to stay
0: under three, but it just looked good to me. So you will you explain real quick? I know you said you don't like the – or some people don't like the term hunch. Real quick, you've now bet on two Vegas hunches. I don't know if you defined this episode what a Vegas hunch is, just in case anybody's listening new. You want to. That's kind of a little bit of our trademark so, on this on this show a little bit. We've, we use it a lot.
1: I, I've tried before to actually – literally calculate what would be one and it's impossible because everything is just subjective so you you literally can't get an exact definition of it it's really up to the person and so the one thing you do got to do is not get too carried away with it because you can start to stretch everything into a Vegas Hunch if you really want to so what I have found works best is when you have a team that's significantly worse from a record standpoint or a standing standpoint than another team and they are favored to win and I prefer it to be in that one to two to three you can stretch it to four point favorite if you see a team that's about an eight point favorite now that screams vegas hunch why is the worst team fair by eight but you have to remember a team doesn't play to eight points so vegas might be right that team might go on a tear but you don't play to eight points let's say you're up nine with 30 seconds to go in the game you don't care if the other team goes and scores a garbage time bucket or two they might only end up winning by five But when you stick in that three to four points or under, you do fight to keep a three-point lead in a basketball game because you know that's a one-possession game. So you're going to play hard to keep that at least three, if not four to five points, give yourself a little bit of breathing room. So that's why I like to stay around that three to four because even if the Vegas hunch is correct out at seven or eight, the line now is an arbitrary number that nobody cares about. So you want to stick in that one to two to three because you know a team is competing to win that. And then I guess if I didn't – say it well enough but the hunch is just really a game that does not look right so you see a team that's maybe ranked number 16 overall and they're on the road against a team that's unranked maybe they're a 500 record versus a 17 and 16 and the 500 record team is favored to win by two those are the games that don't make sense the public or the 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 amateur betters are all over and a lot of times they're wrong because to me that vegas wouldn't set a line that they're expecting to lose they set a line they're expecting to win And as I said earlier in the show, they are experts at this. They literally have PhD statisticians working on this kind of stuff. They have everything you can imagine. So, again, you're not going to win every single one of them. But they make money by playing the volume, so I play the volume with them.
0: All right, I like that. That's a very good definition. Just simplified, essentially, like what you said at the end is a game that just doesn't look right. You know, a game that's weirdly spread given the records of teams. And before we started getting as into sports betting as we did, Jared, I was all over the other side, just like you said. That's how I'd lose every bet. I would look at it and be, oh, this 10 and four team is playing this, you know, seven and eight team. And yet they're uh, only a one point favorite. How does that make any sense? I'm putting all my money on that. Somehow the other team would win every time. Uh, it's not the, the key to the Vegas hunch is you're not going to win it every time you might only win it 60% of the time, but if you're winning bets and anybody who bets any amount of anything in gambling, a win rate of even close to 60 is outstanding. So, these are Vegas hunches that we're throwing out one, two a week. If we lose it, people could jump down our throats for saying, how could you think this crappy team was going to be? But it's a numbers game, and it's over 30, 40, 50 bets. Are you winning 50 or more percent of them? And I think in the Vegas hunches, we've, we've been pretty close. So we're definitely finding that trend, finding our groove. And I mean, this is our first season doing this, so uh, we're, we're only getting better as we go. But I'm going to take us into the NHL after we we broke down some college basketball and some pro basketball there for you, the NHL, and I have a very specific reason for picking this game. The Capitals are going to beat the New Jersey Devils by more than one and a half goals. I'm getting some decent odds, positive odds on it. Um, I'm going to bet five units to return 6.25. Very specific reason I'm betting on this, and here's why. Alexander Ovechkin has 699 career goals. You know, he's getting 700 tonight. The, or I shouldn't even say tonight, in three hours, the, it's going to be blowing up. The team is going to be loving that Ovechkin's hit 700 goals. Did you know, Jared, that Alexander Ovechkin is pacing to break Wayne Gretzky's record for most goals of all time? Absolutely, absolutely mind blowing just for the statistics there. Over Alexander Ovechkin's career, his entire career, this includes all the way back to his rookie season. We're not even dropping out outliers, bad seasons, rookie seasons, nothing like this. Over his career, he's averaged almost 47 goals per year. That is amazing. 47 goals per year. If he plays for five more years, which he's 34, so or er, 39 is easily attainable. He only needs to score 38 goals per year to pass Wayne Gretzky. That's not, not even counting the finish of this season. So, I'm assuming he's going to score at least maybe five, six, seven, eight more goals this season. That means he's going to have to average like 35 goals per game over the next five seasons in order to pass Wayne Gretzky or have like 250 goal seasons and like 225 goal seasons, which for Ovechkin would be asinine for him to score anything below like 40 goals per season. Like I said, he's averaging 46. Per season. Now, enough talking specifically about Ovechkin because at the end of the day, just because he scores 700 goals doesn't mean that this bet's going to win you money because I'm betting for them to win by one and a half. I'm doing – Jared has kind of – I talked originally about the Vegas hunch, didn't really know how to define it. Jared's kind of coins the Vegas tunch, hunch term. I'm kind of coining this regression to expectation term. If you take a look at the Washington Capitals, obviously – they're one of the best teams every single year. They were able to put the cherry on top for Ovechkin, win the Stanley Cup two years ago. But we're not trying to win Stanley Cups here. We're trying to win regular season hockey games. And every year for the past decade, Washington has been one of the best regular season teams. And they're, again, this year as well. They have a record of... Uh, Oh, crap, I don't have... Oh, yeah, I do. 37-17-6, and six, outstanding to the first in their division. But listen to their last 10-game skid. Loss, 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 win, loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss. They're below five hundred over the past 10 games. I'm assuming they're going to be regress- regressing to the expectation of being one of the best teams in hockey because we all know they are. New Jersey Devils, on the opposite hand, are literally the opposite end of the regression to the expectation. This is why I know I said I was betting on it for a specific reason for Ovechkin to score a 700 goal, but this is actually the specific reason that I'm betting on for the New Jersey Devils are the eighth in their division the same division as the Washington Capitals they're 23 17 and 10 they're one of the bottom dwellers of the league if the Red Wings didn't exist they could be one of the worst teams in the league but listen to their last handful of games win loss win loss win loss win win so over the past eight games they've got or nine games they've got a better above 500 record good team last 10 games in a skid bad team last 10 games on a hot streak I'm all in on this regression expectation. I think Washington walks all over the New Jersey Devils today in a few hours if you want to get your bets in. The game starts at 1 o'clock. Ovechkin's going to score a 700 goal early in the game. It's going to get the crowd. Believe it or not, it's in New Jersey, but I think they're going to be pumped for Ovechkin scoring 700 goals. It's a perfect storm. I'm taking the Washington Capitals to win this game 4-1, to 5-2, to two, something like that. I'm all in on the Capitals here. Five units to return 6.25. You even get a positive on this. It is a one-and-a-half point spread, so they do have to win by two. But I really think that this is a golden age right here. I think this is a perfect time to bet on the Washington Capitals.
1: Uh, I like it. I mean – I almost want to count on one of the Ovechkin stuff just because that's kind of a uh, big moment in NHL history rather than just the, yeah. the game itself since I'm not in betting on it. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole Gretzky thing, I think, is definitely attainable. We'll just have to see if he falls off at all with age. Like you said, he probably needs about four seasons still to do it. And he, he doesn't look to be slowing down at all, but that cliff comes quick when you start getting old and you're playing against the young guys. My hope is that he can almost keep up the – a little bit above pace, so then in those little bit slower seasons, like you said, maybe he only need 20 to 30 a season if he can pull out another 250-goal season.
0: Now, <clears> here's <throat> the thing with his game as well. His game, like Brett Halls, who was one of the great goal scorers of all time, I think ages phenomenally. These guys that were like Pavel Datsuk's game, I don't think ages amazingly, even though he was great down the stretch. He was still a great player, but he relied on this Uh, Skill, this ability to maneuver between people, this ability. Ovechkin hardly relies on that. He doesn't rely on being faster. He doesn't rely on being stronger. He doesn't rely on any of this. He relies on winding up for a clap bomb that you can never be ready for. And the perfect pass comes in. It's like, who cares if you're 39 years old, you don't need to skate faster than anybody. Line Ovechkin up in the slot, top of the circles, and let him rip seven, eight shots a game on the power play. Even he's going to find a way to get 30 goals in a season. So great. I think it'd be great for the NHL for Ovechkin to pass him. Now Ovechkin's nowhere near the player Gretzky was because Gretzky has more assists than anybody has points, but it's just really cool to see that this Maybe the best scorer in NHL history is playing right in front of us. It's just a really a cool thing to watch. Like you said, it's a big moment in NHL history and really sports history because a lot of people thought none of Gretzky's records would ever be broken, and here Ovechkin is, is not going to pass the most unbreakable records, but even the scoring record is, is outstanding.
1: The other thing that's exciting, even if he doesn't catch Gretzky, he looks like he will should for sure, barring something crazy, at least break the 800 range, which only two players yep. have ever done that. Gordy Howe only did it by a goal, too, so we should at least see the first 800-goal uh, score in the last, I mean, basically since Gretzky before that pretty much ever.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Good um,
1: stuff. And it's hard to not
0: root for the guy after seeing how hard he partied after winning the Stanley Cup. That's a guy that truly, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I always liked him. He was always, it was always kind of that Crosby-Ovechkin, I was always an Ovechkin guy. But, you know, I didn't really, like, love him. When he won that Stanley Cup to see how Hard he worked and how many years he waited and how much he loved that. That was just like a kid in a candy shop. That was awesome to watch as just a sports fan. I'm a, I'm a pretty big hockey fan. Um, but just a sports fan, not to, before you get into your next bet, this will be really quick. I promise Jared went to famous Dave's last night with my friends. Um, we asked to put on the Red Wings game. The Red Wings were outshot 14 to one after the first period. It was the <laughs> middle of the second period. There was six minutes in the second period, and the Red Wings had two shots on net, two, two shots on net. Like six minutes into the second period. All right, continue.
1: Speaking of the Red Wings and Ovechkin, did you see that Ovechkin said uh, if he uh, if he breaks Gretzky or if he breaks Gretzky's rec- record, Iserman said he wants invited to the party after seeing how he uh, partied after winning the cup. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, I like that. Maybe he'll come here so he can make us – he'll probably score more goals than the rest of our team if he comes here. Probably. I mean, honestly, maybe. Uh,
1: So now over back to college basketball. Um, This one will be real quick. Villanova Xavier, and I'm just, again, playing the numbers. Don't know anything about either two of the teams, really. But I do like that um, Villanova's a top – they're actually ranked number 12 right now. I didn't even notice they were that good. 20-6, and third in the Big East. Xavier's 17-9, seventh in the Big East. So here's where you kind of have a, whoa, why why is Xavier ranked? Or why is Xavier favored? They're at home. They've had a couple close games. They've lost. It seems like one of those games that, again, they're just telling you that, I mean, it's time for Villanova to go down. I don't think Villanova is this unbeatable team. They're not like some of the Dukes and North Carolinas in the past, even though they're top 15. I mean, the numbers are just lining up for it, where you see a <clears throat> top 15 versus a team that's not even top Five in their own conference, and that team's favored. Again, I'm not going to bore you guys with trying to make up some stats about this. I just the numbers are showing us uh, the Xavier Xavier game here. Okay, short and sweet. You guys just want um, to that, pick that's
0: very short as well. Um, I don't have much to say on it. I'm going for the quick. Tuple I'm betting on five different sports today. XFL, um, I'll get box a little bit later. We'll talk about hockey. I got uh, basketball, and, and this is my golf bet, the World Golf Championship. I got Justin Thomas. Uh, I'm taking at plus 340 to win the World Golf Championship. Uh, I'm just putting three units on that to return just over 10, 10.2. simple When he gets hot, there's maybe – one, two better golfers in the entire world than him. I mean, he's ranked, ranked number four, but truly at his best, Justin Thomas is the best golfer in the world. The only one to compete with him right now is Brooks Koepka. Um But even at that, Brooks Kepka is just a major guy, a major guy, but he's that type of guy who seems like he truly does not care that much about golf. He, he's just in it to win majors. Justin Thomas seems like the opposite. He's just a true to life, grew up golfing. He loves golf. I think that he gets this world golf championship done. I realize he's trailing um, a few people. Biggest name he's trailing is Bryson DeChambeau, but Bryson DeChambeau struggles to close stuff out. I know he's pretty good. He's a highly rated golfer. He's going to continue to be a highly rated golfer. And I'm sure he's got a great chance to win this because Justin Thomas is behind him by, I think, three strokes at the moment. But Listen to the stretch that Justin Thomas went through. This is the reason why I'm betting on him. Like I said, when he gets hot, there's nobody in the world better. And listen how hot he got at one point. He went birdie, 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 eagle. So over a five-hole stretch, this guy was at minus six. That is incomprehensible. People, some golfers just get insanely hot, and all pros can have that stretch. But Justin Thomas right now is the hottest golfer in golf, he's hot right now, just continue the streak. He's got two days to close the gap. I'm expecting he comes out on a tear here for round three, closes the gap to maybe just a couple strokes, gets himself in the final pairing. If he can get in the final pairing with Bryson DeChambeau, Bryson DeChambeau has shown that he is not great under pressure. He unravels a little bit. He lets it all get to him. He starts to slow down his play. All of these are pretty notable things that have happened to Bryson in this past. So if Justin Thomas can find a way to get himself into that final pairing, he's got an amazing shot. I'm getting over triple odds here. I really like this. I think it's maybe a three or four dog race at this point. And I think Justin Thomas is maybe the second favorite. Or I think right now he might even be the favorite, even though he's trailing some strokes. But like I said, three unit return just over 10 on this. Not many golfers get hot like Justin Thomas. I'll just leave it at that. And I think he's starting to get hot right now.
1: All right. <clears throat> you know, what's funny is I actually looked at golf when I was trying to come up with one of my last bets and, uh, I just have, haven't been following it enough to really get in there, but funny that you chose the golf and I also was looking at it. Yeah. Um, so we'll move over to finally getting out of the college basketball over to the UFC where I have done pretty well, as we've mentioned. Um, this is a little contrary to what I usually do. I said, I love the underdogs, but I'm taking Dan Hooker over Paul Felder here. And he's actually about a minus minus one forty to one fifty, depending on what you're getting on, what website, what time. Um, the reason is, is both of these guys haven't been, I wouldn't say elite fighters in their life. Dan Hooker is actually 19 and eight and Paul Felder, is 17 and four. Um, the one thing I mentioned though, we'll just kind of reset the table that I like to do with UFC is you, you can't look at somebody's entire career. I mean, they're, you're not going to look at the Houston Texans four years ago versus somebody else. Now, sports teams are a little different. Teams change. But I like to look at some of these last two or three years, you know, to really kind of get a feel of how they're doing. So if you look at both the fighters, Dan Hooker in the last three years is uh, six and one. And Paul Felder is actually – got to be fair and do it for both of them. He's five and one. So they both have been fighting pretty good in their last couple of fights. None of them have fought in the elite fighters, but they've fought in some decent fighters. Um, Dan Hooker, though, he, he's the younger guy. He's only 30 years old, where Paul Felder is 35. Dan Hooker is much bigger. He's 6 feet versus Paul Felder probably about 5'11", but where there's a huge difference is Dan Hooker has 5 inches of reach on him. 5 inches is huge. That's going to keep Paul Felder away and not really get to him. And the reason I like this fight for Dan Hooker, so um, I'm sure people have heard of Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion right now who looks like a beast. There's another guy, Alexander Volkanovsky, who just won the feather white title the thing they have in common they fight at city kickboxing out of new zealand and this gym has been doing something right they're they're really maximizing fighters i guess strength dan hooker also has been training at the same gym for the last couple of years i think he actually did early in his career too and then came back to it but they have been doing a really good job of maximizing a fighter's potential so if you look at israel adesanya they do a really good job of he's a long fighter similar to dan hooker he's a lot longer reach than most guys in his division they do a real good job at keeping the distance and striking from a distance. Now Alexander Volkonowski is kind of the opposite. He's kind of a shorter, stocky guy. They do a really good job of getting him in and out, in and out, in and out so he can get those shots off and get out. They're really good at maximizing leg kicks, uh that, that kind of style of just pick somebody apart from the distance and make them come to you. And Dan Hooker being kind of a longer fighter, I really like that kind of strategy with him. Um the other thing about Paul Felder and Dan Hooker is they're both known as tough guys. They're both known as these guys that never give up. It's very hard to finish them. They just, a lot of their losses come from actually decision losses, not from, I mean, I mean, they've been taken down, don't get me wrong. But uh, Paul Felder's, three of his four losses are decision. And I think Dan Hooker's got, I mean, at least three of his last four losses are decision. <clears throat> you can go further back and got some submission losses, but those are nine, 10 years ago. So again, these are like, Pure tough guys. So you basically, you're going to have two guys slugging at each other for five rounds, is what this looks like. And you got to think that just favors the guy that's the longer, bigger guy. I mean, for somebody like Paul Felder, he's almost going to have to get hit every time he comes in. When somebody else has five inches of reach on you, they have longer legs, longer arms. If you're just going to stand there and slug with each other, neither of them are, or they're so tough, neither of them are going to go down unless you get the perfect shot. You got to imagine over time, Paul Felder is just going to be getting picked apart. The last thing I'll say, The reason I like Dan Hooker, and it might not make sense, because if you guys aren't watching his last fight, then it won't make sense to you. But I was watching his last fight. I'd I'd heard about him. I knew who he was, but didn't know a lot about him. And watching his last fight, I was like, dang, this guy is awesome. And I even said to myself, I'm betting on him no matter what in the next fight, because I was expecting he would move up in rankings and probably be an underdog. Well, he didn't get the underdog, but I said, I'm I'm taking this guy. He looked phenomenal. So you have kind of, oh, and not to mention the fight's in New Zealand. So it's a home fight for him. So you have Paul Felder flying out from Ireland across the world to fight a guy who's fighting in his hometown. I mean, it's a fight. Anything can happen. But you have a longer guy who's probably a little bit hotter of a fighter right now, even if his overall record is worse, fighting from training with two other literal division champions right now in his hometown against an older guy. I mean, everything is lining up for him to win. And getting him at minus 140 to me is not that bad. Now, I probably wouldn't take him at 200 or anything higher than that, but Minus 140 is still pretty solid. I know we haven't been saying what we're betting as much this uh, episode, but I would like to say this is my biggest bet I've ever made on the show at 20 units. i uh, only getting about 14 in return. But, I mean, if you want to watch a good fight, this is going to be one. This is going to be a slugfest between two tough guys that are just going to be beating each other up for five rounds.
0: That is a heavyweight bet there. I was uh, going to save this for our boxing fight, but I think you deserve the, the heavyweight bell. Given where you just bet, so uh, that was a twenty-unit bet, you said.
1: Twenty units for about four fourteen.
0: So I mean, even at the minus, even at the minus one forty, I don't mind betting on favorites if it's like minus one fifty or less yeah. than that. That's all. That's still like, you know, you're making good money. I mean, I guess I bet on John Jones last week at minus four fifty. So it doesn't really matter at this point. I'm just <laughs> throwing everything out the window, but. I'll continue in combat sports here. The big fight, what we've all been waiting for, kind of why Jared and me are even talking to you guys this, this beautiful Saturday morning here, um, at least from where I'm at. It's sunny in Michigan, believe it or not, even though it's only like 25 degrees. The Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder power is coming up tonight, everybody. And I think everybody's as excited about this fight as they've been about any boxing fight. In recent memory, Pacquiao... Um, Mayweather, McGregor, Mayweather are the only ones that compete. But if you look at this, this is even a bigger deal. These are two heavyweights. How often you got a heavyweight bout of two undefeated people going at it, it brings it to the next level. It's your it's your Ali Frazier, your Mike Tyson fights, your all these big names. We got Wilder Fear. We got a rematch. I'm on the opposite end that Jared is, so it's going to be fun to talk about here. I don't know as much as Jared does about this. I don't know as much about boxing, really. I just know that Fury's a a great fighter, technically more sound. He's up to 270 for this fight. That's a 40-pound advantage on Wilder. He's got the reach advantage. He's got the height advantage as well. He's also a surprise to figure out younger than Fury. Not that Fury is in any sort of bad shape or anything like that because he's the most cut ripped human being maybe you'll ever see if you look at some of the pictures of him pre-fight but you know he is 34 wilder's 31 not that that's probably going to play too much into it but it's was surprising to me for some reason i coming into this fight was thinking that fury was the older one just because he's whatever but here's why i'm taking fury throw boxing out this window this dude was over 400 pounds he was battling depression literally about to kill himself one night and he did not he said he voices were talking to him he he was diagnosed with manic, manic depression and anxiety. He was legit off the rails. He had to give up his title fights. He had to give up his everything he had as an undefeated fighter just so he didn't take his own life and fall into this enormous depression. He's a story that I absolutely love to follow. He's a guy I love to listen to. He's charismatic. He's fun to watch. He's fun just to – I hope – I don't even watch that much boxing, but I just want this guy to be – On my TV talking to me about sports all the time because he just seems like a genuinely outstanding human being. And this defines it better than anybody. Jason Whitlock was race baiting him on FS1 Sports. Unbelievable. And you know how nowadays 2020 race is everything. You find one comment on Twitter and the next 50 are all about race. He handled it perfectly. Jason Whitlock said... Well, last time you guys fought, there was a racial divide between white versus black. Fury shut him down immediately and said, no, there was no racism at all in this last fight. Whitlock then took a step back and said, no, 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 I didn't mean there was racism. I just meant, you know, in boxing, there's always these this white versus black. There's this whatever. Can you tell us how last time leading up to this fight that affected it and how it's going to affect it? And Fury shut him down like you wouldn't believe. He said... This is a quote, doesn't matter if you're white, black, pink, or green. We all have the same blood. We're all human beings. I don't hate Wilder as a person. He doesn't hate me as a person. We're getting in that ring to be fighters. And holy shit, that's an unbelievable statement. Like In today's time, you have somebody that is just trying to get clicks and race baiting this guy, and he absolutely shut him down. I thought it was a beautiful thing to watch. I'm rooting for Fury as a person. Not only that, but he's an outstanding technical boxer. He rose from the dead against Wilder. Wilder knocked him down two times, and he rose from the dead to get a split decision to get a draw, maybe a little controversial, but it just shows what Fury's chin is like, what Fury's body, what his drive is like to be a boxing world champion. I think he gets it done against Wilder. Decision, maybe TKO late in the round. It's going to be tough to really knock him out, especially with the defensive style that Fury fights versus the aggressive style that Wilder fights. But I'm taking Fury all day. I love him. I cannot root for anybody outside of this man just because of how great he seems. He's a great interview, charismatic. He truly seems like he cares about the sport and about people when he's talking to him. Just a really refreshing professional athlete, in my opinion. 10 units is an even bet on that to return 10. Give me Fury.
1: So where I'll pick up why this is one of the most exciting fights probably in probably probably a long time in boxing, you have two guys. Tyson Fury is 29-0-1, so he has not lost. He has one draw. Deontay Wilder is 42-0-1. He has not lost. He has one draw. They're both draws against each other. Uh, as you said, it was a little controversial, but I'm okay with it. It was... Um, Tyson Fury was definitely the winner of that fight. He scored more points, but Wilder had the two knockdowns and one of them was a borderline win. I, I mean, if some refs probably would have called that off without even counting because Tyson Fury's eyes were gone. Now it's a good thing the ref didn't cause it ended up being one of the greatest fights probably of all time, but I, I'm, I'm okay with the decision because from a technical point standpoint, you would have to say Fury won that fight. But if you were just watching like a playground fight, you would say Wilder won. Like as a whole, Wilder was dropping him now that kind of brings me to my pick with wilder now as 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 Adam said everything i agree with Fury. i don't not like Fury. I actually root for him i think he's a great guy he's a great story uh same with wilder a lot of people don't even know wilder's story he actually got into boxing and went professional because he has a special needs daughter i forget exactly what she has but it's a pretty bad disease so he went into professional boxing because he was like i'm gonna need to make some real money because i gotta support her so they both have good backstories neither of them are I mean, Wilder, he probably kind of portrays this thug-type person, but if you actually watch interviews with him, he's a very down-to-earth, nice guy, too. So this is a great fight between two good guys. Uh, Wilder actually, I think, went to the Olympics for boxing, I think, after only three years of training and won the bronze medal. I think his third or fourth year of training, so he's got a special talent. Um, I'm honestly okay with either of these guys winning. I like both of them. The one thing I'll give props to both of them, too, Boxing kind of the the reason boxing I think is disappearing and UFC is taking over is boxing is kind of set up to keep a champion at the top. A lot of these guys duck and dodge big fights. You look at Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather dodged Pacquiao for about four years and then fought after both of them were washed up. Boxing is just kind of designed to propel somebody and give them a good record. Where UFC is like just bring the biggest and baddest in here and let's go. That's why I respect these two guys. Neither of them had to take this fight. They've already fought each other. It was a tie. Wilder's the title holder. He could have easily just kept on winning and beating a little bit lesser competition, but they both said, We got to settle this. We got to see who's better. If you look on the other, boxing's really weird. There's all these different divisions and different organizations. If you look at Anthony Joshua, who's the champion of another one. He's kind of that epitome of boxing where you just kind of dodge big fights. He's had multiple opportunities to fight both these guys and stays away from them. So I got to respect either one, win or lose, whoever wins or loses, for getting back in there because it's going to be a brutal fight. Um, as Adam was mentioning, I think Tyson Fury is actually the better boxer. I think he's a more technical boxer. But I, I, I'm going with Wilder because that dude has something special in his hand. I said he's 42 uh, wins, 41 are by knockout. And his one draw against Tyson Fury was probably a half second away from being a, another knockout. I mean, there was controversy over the ref started counting too late. He counted kind of slow. If you actually count, Fury was down on the ground for more than 10 seconds. Who cares? Regardless, you saw what happened. He has one fight that actually went to decision, and he won that one. So, I, I mean, I just feel like all he has to do is connect with somebody. In his last fight, you could see he literally knocked somebody out with a forehead punch. Usually, you knock somebody out by hitting them in the jaw and the temple. I have never seen a Forehead at knockout. He just has this like special, just I don't know what you want to call it, but touch of death is what a lot of people call him in the UFC, where he hits you and you drop. I think it's going to be an exciting fight either way. And it's interesting because both of them are coming in at very large weights. I know Fury's weighed more in the past when you said he was kind of out of shape, but since yeah. he's kind of reinvented himself and been in better shape. This is the biggest he's weighed. He's usually, I think, in that 250, 260 range. He came in at 270. And Wilder is actually at 230. He usually fights in that. 210 to 220 range. Actually, I think the first time he fought Fury, he was only 207 because he was coming off the flu or something like that. So it'll be interesting. Both of them seem to have bulked up. Maybe Fury did it to absorb some bigger shots, and I'm guessing Wilder probably did it to add a little bit
0: more strength to actually knock him out. But I think either way, this is going to be an awesome, awesome one to watch. I mean, you break it down. This is all you need to say for it. It's a heavyweight fight, and the combined records are 71-0-2. And the only draw and, uh, is... The I think o- it's, a, it's a
1: great matchup in that you have a guy who's a little bit more technically sound and a guy who's a knockout artist. It's going to be a clash of trying to outpoint somebody and keep the range and somebody trying to get in there and get that one hitter and end
0: uh, the fight. And it, it's not going to be a co- boring kind of dance the whole time. The incredible part about this 71-0-2, even if it was controversial, Wilder knocked him down, maybe knocked him out, Theory won by points, whatever. It was a draw. If they didn't fight each other, their combined records would be 71-0-0. They would have literally combined never have lost a fight. Not that they have lost a fight, but even that they have fought each other, they still never lost a fight. They're only even close to time Of losing was they they tied each other. These are truly heavyweight adds another dimension because you know you see the Floyd Mayweather's fighting and you see these guys fighting and it's like oh yeah these are amazing fighters but they're 160 pounds 150 pounds you see these mammoth human beings of 240 fighting 270 literally they would beat anybody in the world in a boxing match and they're fighting each other it's great it's gonna make for great TV they both seem like great guys actually. Believe it or not, like you said, Wilder is, like you said, had to help with his daughter's disability, fear he's fought this depression and stuff. It's not like this this Mayweather fight where one of them's this cocky douche that's just in it for a ton of money, and he's this self-absorbed person that's, it seems like there's two legit, amazing boxers that are some of the best of our generations, if not the best of our generations, going at it, it's, it's going to make for... For some great TV and hopefully some great betting. And Jared, we didn't pick a head-to-head, but given the uh, Super Bowl and the Kansas City one, we're actually five and six, or I'm five and six, you're six and five. You want to just make this our head-to-head? Yeah, I think it makes the most sense. Yeah. Biggest
1: biggest event since the Super Bowl and probably for the next couple months.
0: And, and not on only that, sides. I was <laughs> going to say we're on opposite sides and it's pretty <laughs> even. I think Wilder's a, a slight favorite there, but. Uh, I think he's um, minus 120 or so. but Yeah, but pretty even. But all in all, that's going to wrap up here today. appreciate you, everybody, listening through all of this good stuff because, like I said, sometimes it's uh, tough to come up with the bets that you want to in times like this. But all in all, I'm pretty proud. I'm pretty happy we got creative. I went through five different sports to get here. But I bet a total of 30 with a possible winnings of 37.6 units. And hopefully – this can push me up above that 300 mark, so I've uh, so I would have successfully tripled up. But like I said, past few times I've been I've been stuck around this moment. So we'll see if this can push me over the edge. Jared, how much is your total bets today?
1: Only 37 because I'm running out of money. So uh, <laughs> and at about 29 in return. But I also do have that one still open for another yeah. 10 technically. So 47 if you want to count that one. Cool, cool. That's it. That's uh, gonna right. wrap
0: it up everybody enjoy their saturday jared you got any last words
1: uh no should be an exciting day though cool go fury baby let's see this wilder stuff